Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Maccas Run with Sam Hargraves. With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. Good evening. Welcome to the Macca's Run. Jordan Canellis with you here on SEN tonight, filling in for Sam Hargraves. Good to be with you on a Tuesday evening. You can give us a call, 1300 736 736 for Harcourts. Your move, your Harcourts, or you can send us a text at any time tonight on the show, 0433 98 1116 for temper, a mattress like no other. Today's uh, sporting headlines was predominantly in the AFL world. It was around the retirements of a couple of great players. We had David Mundy yesterday announcing his retirement, but Stephen Motlop of Port Adelaide and formerly Geelong and Josh Kennedy as well from the West Coast Eagles announced their retirements today. We had more success in the pool this morning. Uh, at the Commonwealth Games, Kyle Chalmers getting the 100-metre freestyle gold medal was the pick of the bunch, but Kaylee McEwen picked up another one as well. And Emma McKeon continues her success in the pool and uh, is the most successful Australian gold medalist now at the Com Games with 12 to her name so far. There might be a few more to come. The Athletics starts tonight as well at the Commonwealth Games, so plenty to look forward to among all the other sports as well to um, to uh, entertain you throughout the course of the night. And we'll be doing that on SEN for you this evening with our Commonwealth Games coverage beginning at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on SEN Fanatic. And it will be with you nationwide around SEN uh, from about 9pm uh, tonight um, on, uh, on the airwaves. But on the app, you can listen to it all evening long. There's plenty to talk about here on the Maccas Run. Try a classic Angus at Maccas today. But from a football perspective, this was the major story of the day. I'll be retiring um, this year and uh, this will be my last game of AFL footy this weekend uh, with the mighty West Coast Eagles. So finishing off on our last home game here in front of our home fans and it'll be the last game I'll play. It's a bit sad, uh, happy, uh, content with it. But um, yeah, look, I think I suppose a lot of emotion will come out uh, at the game. Um, yeah, we've got a hundred dollars to get through the week first. So I don't want to injure myself on Thursday. That's probably probably the main thing. But um, but yeah, look, it's um, it's been an amazing journey. Um, of I suppose AFL footy I've been doing it for seventeen years, nearly half my life. So that's the only thing I know. So it's um, yeah, it's I'm pretty content with it. Josh Kennedy on six PR. The Eagles forward, he announced his retirement today in this match this weekend uh, in West Coast final home game of the season will be his last match, a Sunday afternoon clash with the Crows. It'll be, uh, he'll go out as West Coast's greatest ever goal scorer. He's got 704 goals to his name right now. He's potted nearly 200 more goals than the next best, Peter Sumich. He has had so much success and played in many great teams through his career, Josh Kennedy, that his career will be defined by those very achievements. But that one lingering point of fascination will always be the trade he was a part of back at the end of 2007 involving Chris Judd. 
The West Coast Eagles parted ways with Judd in pick number 46. That was uh, turned out to be Dennis Armfield in return for the 20-year-old Josh Kennedy at the time with just 22 games to his name and 11 goals to go with it. Pick number three, which was Chris Maston, and pick number 20, which was Tony Knott. We've asked this question many times before over the years, but now that both their careers have concluded, or Kennedy's will this weekend, can we finally admit that West Coast won the trade? Josh Kennedy became West Coast's greatest ever goal kicker. He won their club leading scoring tally seven times and picked up two Coleman medals along the way in 2015 and 2016. In those years, he tallied 75 and 80 goals. Those are the two highest Coleman medal tallies in the last 12 years, the best since Buddy and Fev in 08 and 09. He's had three All-Australians, two as vice-captain, but they sit beneath the pinnacle of his career with the 2018 Premiership, the ultimate success. In total, he played in eight finals campaigns with a 9-8 and win-loss record in those campaigns, reaching two grand finals, uh, obviously the one win and the one loss back in 2015 against the Hawks. Comparatively, Chris Judd played in just four finals series with the Blues, winning two elimination finals and losing six games in total, never progressing past the semis and never finishing in the top four on the ladder. Now, I can't pin this totally on Judd because a club is more than just one man and Carlton has uh, made many errors around the, that time uh, unrelated to Judd. Chris Judd won his second Brownlow medal at Carlton in 2010. The first was at West Coast. He won four All-Australian honours at the Blues compared to two at the Eagles. He won three Carlton Best and Ferris compared to two at the Eagles and he split his AFLPA MVPs one each across the Eagles and the Blues. He's a phenomenal player, Chris Judd. He was one of the elites. He could be regarded as being in the top five or top three footballers of his generation or of an entire era. He brought many exceptional qualities to the Blues as a club as well. He gave them presence. He gave them excellence in midfields. He gave them a real good chance, really, in, in making those finals. Uh, but when the Blues fans were promised that they'd be shown the world with Judd in their team, all Carlton could deliver were a couple of elimination finals. I'm not naive enough to suggest that Judd failed in his quest at Carlton because, as I said, there were other deficiencies at Carlton which stopped them from going on to bigger things. But all told, that timeless question is going to rear itself again throughout throughout this week. Who won the Judd-Kennedy trade? Judd arrived to a team that was already building its midfield with a slew of number one draft picks and other high selections at the time, whereas Josh Kennedy delivered uh, as a difficult-to-obtain, sharp-shooting, 196-centimetre key forward with an extremely high output as well. His highest returns were 11 goals, 10 goals, 10 goals, 8 goals, 8 goals, and then a flurry of sevens through his peak. He's one of five current players to kick 10 in a game, and he did it three times in his career. There won't be anything easier for me to do tonight than to say that Chris Judd was the better footballer. I know that. We all know that. But Josh Kennedy was extremely good. So our two options, this way or that way, which team benefited more from the Judd-Kennedy trade? Was it West Coast because Kennedy was critical in bringing them greater success? Or was it Carlton because Chris Judd was an elite footballer and did more for the Blues than anyone else could have? And really, anyone else has as an individual player for a while. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you'd like to send through a text, thanks to Temper, a mattress like no other, or a call on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Blackie's in Doreen to kick us off on the topic. Blackie, which uh, what are your thoughts? Which way are you siding? Jordan, how are you, mate? I'm a, I'm a Blues man. I, I look at it like this: Why can't 
both teams have won. And I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Um, Josh Kennedy had a state at Carlton. Would Carlton have gone any better? And if West and if Judd had a state at West Coast, would West Coast have gone any better? So when people say maybe the West Coast won because they look at that one premiership, it's not a ma- not a major win. It, it, as a, as a football supporter, you can't always win premierships, but you need to have wins along the way, whether they're players' individual accolades or you know, winning finals, because some of our supporters don't see a premiership for 30 years. So we're just going to throw the hands up and say, oh, I'm not going to follow my team. Or You got you need those little wins. So for me, it can be a win for, for, for both clubs, because when Judd went to Carlton, we were a complete laughingstock. He gave us some credibility, and he gave us two, two finals wins, which are the only two we've seen in a very, very long time. So imagine if he didn't come. I can't imagine that Josh Kennedy we would have been a better side than um, uh, one that had Judd in it, which which probably means we may have never seen any finals in such a long time. So, for me, you, you can have both wins. We'll never know if both players had a state at their clubs, but I can't imagine a Josh Kennedy who, in that Carlton environment, and especially for the three or four years after he was traded, he would have been significant enough to have done any better for our team than Chris Judd. So that's how I look at it. I look at it the fact that if we had a kept Kennedy, would we have been any better? No. So how could we have lost? Mm. No, fair point and a measured point to make as well, uh, Blackie. I guess facetiously, it's not as fun to ask that question or to answer that way for the for the question nah. that I'm posing. But I understand. But I, I totally get the point that you're coming from as well. At the time, so jog my memory, at the time, did Carlton, were they desperate for a key forward? Who was in that team? Because that was around the time that Fev had left. That was 09, wasn't it, when he went to Brisbane? No, no, Fev, Fev, was, still, Fev was still there. So, um, and, and I think, I think going back, Carlton may have looked at offloading Fev instead of, instead of Josh Kennedy, looking for the future. But um, West Coast, obviously, were looking at the same thing, that instead of having a bloke who's you know, 80% through his career go for someone who's just in the in the infancy. So, um, that, you know, I've always looked at it like that, Jordan, that why couldn't both clubs have been winners out of, out of that trade? Because as I said, outside of those two, um, you know, uh, finals or a few finals campaigns, but those couple of elimination finals and, you know, it was a Carlton supporter you know, for the last 20 years. What's what's our most memorable game? It's probably beating Richmond in that elimination final when mm. we came back from goals behind and Judd turned it on in the, the third quarter. For for most of us, that's our biggest moment having support the club in the last two decades. So without him there, we may not have even had that. So as I said, because you can't win flags all the time. I've been following Carlton for 45 years. I've seen us win five flags. I've seen them 40 years with nothing. So you need those other wins along the way, whether it's a Brownlow medal, which you gave us, and we haven't had all that many. Um, but just, just some of the, the his performances. And as I said, he gave us a bit of, bit of credibility. I don't ever think that we would have been a better club and a better side with Josh Kennedy in there and no Chris Judd. Yeah. Thank you for your call, Blackie. I appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Blackie and Doreen. Uh, Michael... Ian Cheltenham wants to jump in. Hello, Michael. Damn, Good. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I'm a long-time Carlton supporter. Uh, thinking about it in the end, I really 
thinks we didn't need Chris Judd again because we had a developing midfield as it was. We had Murphy, Gibbs, um, Kate Gibbon, probably on the midfield back then, maybe. I don't know, but uh, Carazzo. Um, yeah. And I reckon if we had another genuine forward like Josh Kennedy and Fev, I can imagine that. Yeah, that's and that's a good point. So if, if Judd... If Judd didn't go there, yeah. If Judd didn't go to Carlton, and to contrast your point with with Blackies before, uh, do you think Carlton would have made finals at all? Without, I still reckon we still definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just yep, hundred percent, we wouldn't made finals. Just yeah, I just reckon we would have gone a bit more further if we had those two power forwards. Yeah, true, and that's that's the thing that I always wonder about as well when we talk about this trade. I don't really look at it from the Judd perspective because I think wherever Judd was, whether he stayed at West Coast or whether he he was at Carlton, he would be good. We knew that he would deliver in in whatever way he he would be able to. Um, but midfielders and look, Judd's a generational midfielder. Uh, but midfielders are, and I'm not trying to diminish the position because it is the most important. But midfielders are midfielders. You can get them. There's heaps of them. But key forwards are, are, are rare. And tall key forwards, sharp shooting key forwards in particular, who are consistent in the way that Josh Kennedy has been consistent, are rare. So exactly. I always I always wonder how the Blues, what they would have looked like with, if they had another big key forward up there in that forward line. Exactly. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate your call exactly. as well. Thank you, Michael from Cheltenham. And Adam on the roads on Judd Kennedy. Adam, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think Carlton lost the trade. Uh, as much as I love Judd, I was a Carlton, I'm a Carlton supporter, um, and I loved watching Judd play when we were there. I I can't help but think we would have been a significantly better side with uh, Josh Kennedy in the long run. I remember going to a, a, a Carlton dinner thing that Carlton put on when we traded, uh, sorry, when we drafted Gibbs, Murphy and Kennedy and Cruiser within that small window that two-year period or whenever it was mm. um and they stood up in front of us and said this is the future and and we believed it and then you know 12 months later um kennedy was gone so yeah i, I think we lost the trade i think kennedy was the, the superstar um forward that we needed and him and favola would have um would have been a great combo would you uh so, do you not not regret? That's not the right word. I wouldn't want to use the word regret. Regret, but do you, um, do you sort of wish that you could have seen what Carton would have looked like without Chris Judd, or or, or are you still happy for having seen Chris Judd at the Blues? Uh, I have a, again have a lot of great memories watching Judd play. Um, but yeah, I, it would have been it would have been very good to have seen a Carlton without Chris Judd with. With Kennedy, Cruiser, Fev, Murphy, Gibbs, you know, there's there's some pretty good players in that list. We we probably stuffed up a bunch of other things in our club at the time. It wasn't that necessarily that decision that mm. that put us down the ladder for so long. Yeah, no, thank you for your call, Adam. Good points made as well, Adam. On the road, you can give us a call. Thanks to Harcourts, you'll move your Harcourts one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll take a break. Uh, here on the Maccas run, you can send us a text, 0433981116 to get involved. Some of your text messages will do that on the other side of the break. We'll chat a bit of Com Games as well. There's another big night coming up at Birmingham with the athletics getting underway and more from the pool as well. And a couple of other points from around the sporting world and the footy world to come up on the Maccas run this evening. Jordan Canellis with you on SEN this Tuesday night. Send through your thoughts via the text or through the phones. Coming back after this. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. 
With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. Jordan Canellis with you on the Macca's run on SEN. You can send through a text message, 0433 98 11 16. Thanks to Tampa, a mattress like no other. A couple of messages that came through on the point we were making before about Judd and Kennedy. Uh, West Coast won the trade easy, says uh, Anonymous. Uh, David says West Coast won the trade. Goal kickers like Kennedy are as rare as hen's teeth. On ballers are not so rare. Uh, Barry says Kennedy wouldn't have achieved any of that at Carlton. They stunk. So his stats at West Coast don't make don't make any sense. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that, Barry. I don't think that they don't make sense at the West Coast Eagles. They just probably uh, well, he would have excelled in a better environment such as the West Coast Eagles, and they might have been uh, diluted at the uh, at the Blues if he had stayed there. Um, uh, Rod in St. Leonard says, I agree. West Coast got their best goal kicker of all time in a premiership with Kennedy, whilst Carlton got more members, but they didn't get a flag with Juddy, even though he was an absolute champion. Um, uh, Judd, uh, with the dr- Judd trade, they only made the final against Richmond because of the Bombers' drug scandal. Massive win for West Coast, says Lachlan from Brighton. Um uh, another one says, and I think this is a two-part text. I've got to find the first part, but the second part is we also got Dennis Armfield, who was a decent player for over 100 games. Um, every side has a gun midfielder, they, but not every side has a gun forward. Uh, G'day, Jordan. It's not just a straight trade. It's also picks three and 20 that gave that Carlton gave the Eagles, which did end up being Maston, who's from WA. If the Blues uh, had kept pick three and took the first midfielder from Victoria, they would have got Dangerfield. That's I've never looked at it like that before. That's a really good point. I've never looked at it like that before. So 2007, yeah, the 2007 draft, the so Cruiser went one, Cochin went two, uh, and if Carlton had kept pick, so Carlton would have had oh yeah, had the priority pick. They had Cruiser, uh, and then they would have had uh, pick number three, which was Chris Maston. But uh, well. The next, the next Victorian player was actually Jared Grant taken. But if they'd gone for a, uh, for a, a yeah, bona fide midfielder, it would have been Patrick Dangerfield. So there you go, well picked out. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Uh, and the last one was Kennedy was not a power forward back then. He struggled to hold marks and kick straight. He and Fev would never have been a, a viable combination because he took a while to develop. Says uh, one more off the text, mas- text machine. So keep them coming through. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Uh, to have your say. Other headlines from around uh, the football world today. Stephen Motlop also announced his retirement. That'll happen effective immediately, so he won't see the remaining uh, couple of games for the season. The 31-year-old from Darwin calling it quits. He played uh, 135 games for the Cats and 80 games for Port Adelaide. So 215 games all up, 229 uh, goals he scored and a couple of final series in there as well. Uh, He was part of the Indigenous All-Stars team in 2013 and uh, the International Rules uh, team as well in 2013 that same year. How will Stephen Motlop be remembered? Uh, 0433981116. How will he be remembered? Apart from just the uh, the, uh, the the drown him in your honey uh, commentary piece from Dwayne Russell, how else will he be remembered, Stephen Motlop? Uh, send us your thoughts on the text machine. Ben Cunnington looks to return this week. Uh, to the North Melbourne side for the first time this season if he gets through training on Thursday. Uh, so he'll be there for the last couple of games, which will be uh, a great uh, great story for uh, for the for the Roos. We had Sam Doherty at the start of the season as one of the best stories of the season when he uh, was able to... Well, he, he returned to playing football, but he never really left, I guess, because he played the end of last season and played the start of this season, so he didn't really miss any games. 
Um, but uh, but he uh, obviously had the the, uh, the the second battle through the off season, played round one, which was amazing. So he had his moment at the start of the year, and now Ben Cunnington will have his moment at the end of the year. So um, our season uh, bookended by uh, by um, uh, inspirational returns from cancer battles for uh, for those two warriors of the game. And a story which has just been uh, has just been put out on the age in the last couple of minutes from Jack Lattimore uh, is I think it's excerpts from uh, Eddie Betts uh, his autobiography The Boy from the Boomerang Crescent, uh, which is going to be released tomorrow, where he goes in uh, in a bit more depth onto the Adelaide's uh, preseason training camp. Uh, just a few pars here from the age, which says a preseason training camp for the Adelaide Crows left the AFL champion feeling shattered, and he says his complaints led to him being dropped from the club's leadership group. He tells the story in his new biography. Um, uh, for the first time, he explains on, or he elaborates on trauma he felt after a weird and completely disrespectful leadership training camp he attended uh, in the 2018 preseason. Uh, the three-time All-Australian player says the secretive four-day camp held on the Gold Coast run by a group uh, he was chosen not to name, or he has, he has chosen not to name, left him feeling like a piece of me was brainwashed. Um, those are just a couple of the uh, the quotes there. So the full story has just been put up now. I haven't had a chance to read through it fully, obviously, but uh, that's there on the age, and that's going to be part of Eddie Betts, um, his autobiography, uh, The Boy from Boomerang Crescent, which is to be released uh, tomorrow. So that's uh, that's a little piece there for you. We'll get, get into a bit more footy uh, later on this hour, but we'll chat a bit of Commonwealth Games on the other side of this. Jordan Canellas with you here on the Macca's Run. Uh, you can send us a text for Temper, 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. The phone lines are always open for Harcourts. Your move, your Harcourts. The Maccas run for McDonald's. Try classic Angus at Maccas today. More sporting headlines from Australia and around the world throughout this hour. We'll chat to Sam Duncan after seven. We'll uh, go into, well, they're now a, a gold medal winning team. The Jackaroos, without bias, coming up a little later on as well. And off the tee, our golf show coming up tonight at 8pm. But Commonwealth Games coming up after this. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. Jordan Canellis with you, filling in for Sam Hargraves tonight on the Macca's Run, 0433981116. If you'd like to send through a text on the Temper text line, a mattress like no other. A couple that have come through just on our previous topics before. Chris Judd, um, uh, one here from uh, Anonymous. Uh, I've read quite a few articles involving past players, and the resounding sentiment is that Judd set the standards on and off the field that Carlton could only have dreamed of prior he can't put a price on the cultural change he would have made within the four walls, especially with his diet and training standards. Kennedy would unlikely have been the same forward in a front in front of a Carlton midfield, and I'm a West Coast man. And then how will Stephen Motlop be remembered? Jacob says Motlop, mercurial, but never fit enough to sustain performance. Uh, Pork Chop in Rosebud says Stephen Motlop, inconsistently enigmatic, but 200 AFL games, no mean feat. Uh, Adrian says, like Gus, Angus Monfries, Motlop will always be fondly remembered as a showdown winner at Port. Doesn't get any sweeter at Alberton. And then Travis says, Stephen Motlop, a bit inconsistent. The best play, best game he played was at Geelong. 
which was his last game where he showed hard and gave multiple efforts. Didn't happen too often enough, though, says Travis. Uh, 0433-98-1116 to send through your text messages on the retirees announced today in the AFL world. Our, uh, our Olympics, our Commonwealth Games coverage. We had the Olympics for you last year, and what a time that was. But the Commonwealth Games has been a lot of fun as well. And you can listen to it on SEN. It starts at uh, 7 p.m. on Fanatic. We'll bring you live coverage here on 1116 in Melbourne from 9 p.m. tonight, but it will be there for you on the app. And the man who will be leading the coverage is Matt White, and he's with us here on SEN uh, tonight to uh, preview the night coming forwards so or coming ahead um, uh, this evening. Matt, uh, Evening to you. How's things? Evening, Jordan. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Looking forward to day five of competition over there. Of course, it's uh, getting underway in about an hour or so, half an hour, in fact, uh, time over there. And a, and a big one, too, because obviously a lot of the focus has been on the swimming mm-hmm. and the cycling in particular, which is the way of the world when you open the batting, essentially, at a major event like this. But we swing into athletics today. So the first day of track and field in athletics and uh, I've just done a quick chat with Tamsin Manu a uh, part of the seven commentary team over there and, and honestly we almost had to turn the microphone down she was that excited she was jumping <laughs> through the phone ready to rumble I said what's coming up tonight and she said how long have you got <laughs> so um, they're pretty pumped and they're pretty happy to finally take a few of the headlines away, especially from the swimmers and, and Kyle Chalmers, et cetera, in particular. Exactly, yeah. Well, Kyle Chalmers is the first name you sort of, uh, you write down, isn't it, when you're talking about what's happened t- today in the last 24 hours. And we definitely will chat about what's coming up tonight because uh, let's always look forward. But you can't avoid the uh, the headlines around what's been happening with Kyle Chalmers. Firstly, just on the win this morning, 100-metre freestyle, how much of that win was about him achieving success just purely and simply or how much of it was about him wanting to to win to almost uh, to almost spite what the uh, the tabloid drama has said about him I pose that question today you know what what was Kyle there to achieve today was he there to achieve a victory which he's earmarked for a long long time and essentially that's his number one aim or was he there to silence the critics and I think there's a little bit of both in that and probably after the events of well, the last few months now, because this goes back to the Australian trials, that silencing the critics started to become priority number one, which leads me to question what's going to happen next for Kyle Chalmers. If that's become his driving force, that's uh, a little bit of a concern. However, put all that aside, the one thing that he was there to do at these Commonwealth Games, aside from the relays and all that kind of business, was to win the 100 metres freestyle final. He's an Olympic champion in this event yet to win the Commonwealth Games gold medal in this event. James Magnuson, my co-host on our coverage, is the last Aussie to do so in 2014. So that should have been the absolute focus. All the palaver that went on around it was unfortunate, um, and there's a whole stack of reasons why it, it unfolded the way it did. But at the end of the day, he did the job that he was there to do, which is walk away with the gold medal in the 100 free and join a very elite list of athletic uh, of swimming royalty in Australia of those who have won both the Olympic and the Commonwealth 100 free. I mean, it's, you know, it's the big dog event, mate. It's the mm-hmm. alpha male, um, I'm going to lead the way event. So uh, out of all of the other headlines that have gone around it, I think that's been pretty unfortunate. Look, this stuff happens all the time. There's there's all of this stuff going on all the time in Commonwealth Games teams, in swimming teams, in uh, Olympic teams in particular, but it's made the headlines because of the players within it and especially because of the new eyes and the new dynamic of reporting on this because Cody Simpson's in there as well and 
Emma McKeon's our now most decorated Olympian and most decorated Commonwealth Games athlete. So everything collided at the right time in terms of, you know, the storylines and the headlines and the clickbait and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is Kyle delivered what he was here to deliver, which is the 100 metres freestyle gold medal. So um, I think that's probably the best way to summarise that. And then we just wait and see what happens next with Kyle. His father, Brett, came in today and criticised uh, Swimming Australia for not protecting their athletes enough. Uh, the yep. comments probably didn't help uh, trying to sort of um, uh, dilute the uh, the flame that's happening right now around Kyle Chalmers. But would you say Brett Chalmers' comments are warranted? Fair enough. I, I think they're, they're fair enough because when I watched and I spoke to journalists who were there um, at that all-in media conference where, um, you know, they, they just kept badgering Kyle about this situation with Emma and Cody and they didn't focus on anything else. Let me take you back to the Australian swimming trials, Jordan, in, in uh, South Australia a few months ago where all this started. This is where it all started. By that stage, we... Or, or the swimming world had started to know that Emma and Cody had got together and Emma and Kyle used to be together, right? So what what unfolded there was there was a, an incident as far as I was told that as um, Kyle got out of the pool for one of the heats, they went up over towards the media and the media said, no, 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 we're fine, we don't need to speak to you, we need to speak to Cody, right? Now, they'd already spoken to Kyle before and that put his nose out of joint. And so it should, you know, because he wanted to protect his other teammates and he wanted to get his say out there. So that that was bubbling along a few months ago, a good few months ago. They, they knew that this was going to happen. They knew that the focus was going to be on them. Swimming Australia should have stood in the middle of that press conference and said, not let it go for 20 minutes, mm. 20 minutes for this. And they should have said, enough's enough. We're moving on. We've got to protect this guy, not from the stories and the headlines. We've got to protect him and the others to make sure that they're ready to swim. So James Magnuson and I have spoken about this at length throughout our coverage. And the missile is that there's two ways to do this. You can, and remember, he's been in the middle of this. You, you can lean into this and start the fight while you're, while you're at a, at a uh, major meet, or you can just deal with it uh, as much as you need to, move on, concentrate on the job at hand, and then, you know, basically deal with it afterwards. I think Swimming Australia missed the boat on this one. They didn't handle it well enough. Um, I don't think they're the, the most innocent party in it. I think everyone's got a, a part to blame. But they should have protected him. They should have protected him as the athlete who's there to do a job, just like all the other athletes are as well. So Brett, um, Brett Chalmers, his dad, has, has certainly got a right to say that, in my opinion. So on one side, we've got Swimming Australia there. On the other side, then, uh, the, other, the other side of the line drawn down the middle is the media. Is this just the worst of the media? It's the different part of the media. This, this is the thing about it. Because the fact that Cody Simpson is now in this mix, there's a different set of eyes on this story. So you, you're swimming journalists and you're, you know, your regulation, if I can put it like that, journalists that are covering the games, that are covering swim meets, that have covered Kyle Chalmers and Emma in her career, um, are all there. But now there's another dynamic. And this dynamic's different. And Swimming Australia, I, in, I think don't really know how to handle that side of the dynamic. They know how to control things when it comes to, you know, team issues, et cetera. But this is totally different. Now you've got your your gossip columnist there and everybody's looking for the clickbait headline because it's got Cody Simpson involved in it. It's got Emma McKeon involved in it. So there's a different perspective put on this one. And I reckon that in the end, um, it, it, it may lead to athletes in Swimming Australia getting together and saying, okay, how do we now deal with this different dynamic that's that's in front of us? Because 
up until a couple of weeks ago, they thought they were in control of it, and they clearly weren't. On to the good stuff and what's actually been happening in the pool. Uh, the highlights from the first four or so days, Matt, uh, me personally, the 4 by 200 metre freestyle relay, the women's team that broke the world record, was amazing. I, I don't want to sound sickeningly patriotic or too arrogant, but uh, but we should have expected to see something like that. But to actually see them achieve that world record and, and smash the field the way they did was was absolutely stunning. Has that been the highlight of the pool? We've had a couple of clean sweeps of the medals. What's been your pick? Yeah, I, look, I'd go towards the 4 by 2 and I'd go towards uh, Ariane Titmus's split in that because she's been chasing down the 200 metres freestyle world record that was set in the super suit era of 2009. So it's still standing since 2009. And Arnie's getting closer and closer um, to try and get on top of that record. The split that she swam in that 4 by 2 was actually world record time. Now, obviously, in the relay, it's a little bit different, but it shows just how close she is getting. And I love the fact that Dean Boxer, when you watch the replay of the 4 by 2 you'll see her coach. He knew the game was on. He knew that they were on world record time. And he was like, okay, this is time for us to go. And he signaled to Arnie, let's have a crack at it. They pulled off a similar heist at the trials in the 400 where they were going under the radar, but they knew that they had a crack at the world record time. So they just did it. They just went out and pulled it off. And this time around, he knew that there was a world record for the 4 by 2 on the line. They wanted to get it back from the Chinese. But I think when they, when they sit down and break that one down, they'll go, aha, we are now closer to the main one that we want. We want that 200-metre freestyle world record set in the super suit era. It's been impossible to break, but Ariane Titmus is so close to doing it. So, yeah, I'd put that one out there as well. And, look, the overall performances of Emma McKeon, four gold medals, one silver, 12 gold medals all up. For Emma, she's now our most decorated gold medal winner, the most decorated gold medal winner in Com Games history, and 17 overall. So she should get a couple more uh, early tomorrow morning in the finals there, and probably gold again. So it's just an incredible ride for an amazing athlete. She's so she's reached the pinnacle in terms of medals and gold medals at, at the Olympics and the Com Games for us. Is she? How it's hard to tell because she's still in the middle of her career. There's still more to come from Emma McKeon. Um, but how how close is she to just being the greatest ever Australian athlete? I don't think it's that. It sounds a bit exa- like an exaggeration to say, but I don't I don't feel like it is when you've won and achieved that much already. Yeah, it's really interesting because like let's let's do a little bit of a comparison, right? And and especially in Commonwealth Games gold medal history, once she got to eleven, she overtook Ian Thorpe, Susie O'Neill, Liesl Jones. Now, we all remember their careers, and Thorpe in particular, obviously an absolute superstar. Susie, just a darling of the pool that just won everything, and Liesl, just an, an absolute assassin. Now, these, these athletes, all the way through their careers, made headlines. Michael Phelps, as he became the most, became the most decorated Olympian, made super big headlines, and they were you know big stories all the time. Emma hasn't been that story. She's just been busily collecting gold medals for fun. She's been <laughs> busily becoming our most decorated Olympian. Bang, out she pops of Tokyo 2020. And those who didn't really know her story in swimming went, who on earth is this girl? <laughs> who is she? And now we're starting to see. She's, she's just collecting medals under the radar, essentially. Now, obviously, with the Cody Simpson stuff, and every, now everyone knows who Emma McKeon is. But I get the feeling now she's reached a point where... She is quite shy. She's, she's quite an introverted person, but she comes from a swimming background. She's lived and breathed swimming her whole life. Her parents were swimmers, 
and representative swimmers as well. This is her life. And now she's reached the point where she's talking about how proud she is of herself and who she's become. So to me, when that, when, when all of that you know, shyness and, and introvertedness um, gets taken away, she can just start to let her hair down and, and anything's possible with this lady because you know, she'll go on to Paris 2024 and she'll just start collecting medals again. I mean, she will absolutely end her career as the most decorated swimmer that Australia's seen. What do we have coming up tonight in the pool? We've got lots of finals ahead, a couple of backstroke finals as well, and some medleys. Yeah, so plenty of finals and plenty of Australians already booking their places. Uh, We've got a few heats getting underway in about 45 minutes' time, which will determine uh, the 200 backstroke for men and 200 fly for women. But the Aussies in action, well, we'll have three Aussies in the... Women's 100 metres breaststroke final. That'll be first up. So Chelsea Hodges, Jenna Strosh and Abby Harkin there. The 100 freestyle final with our girl Emma. So fastest qualifier into that with Molly O'Callaghan second fastest. There's a name. Write that one down in your book if you haven't already. Yep. She's a superstar of the future. And Shana Jack third fastest. So a chance at a one, two, three. Uh, Maddie Temple and Cody Simpson into the butterfly final. Uh, Sam Williamson and Grayson Bell into the 50 breaststroke final. Um, we've also got the women's 800 metres freestyle final as well. So Arnie, Lani Pallister and Kia Melvitson in there. And that could that could also be a one, two, three, followed by the mixed four by 100 metres medley relay. So plenty of medals on offer tonight and plenty of Australian smack bang in the picture. And track and field begins tonight as well. And there's uh, the heats of the 100 metre sprint, which begins at a pretty reasonable time. 8.30, I believe, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Rowan Browning's involved for the Aussies. Yeah, trying to go under that magical 10-second uh, mark. So Rowan will be uh, having the mullet flying at Alexander Stadium. So the heat's there of the 100 metres. The men's discus as well. Matthew Denny missed the podium the last games by five centimetres. So we'll see him in action. The women's 800, uh, Katrina Bissett featuring with Georgia Griffith. The heptathlon as well, Tennille Crace. Uh, in action. She's coached by Gwyneth Nunn-Kern. So some uh, sporting royalty in the stands are on the sidelines for the women's heptathlon and long jump. And then tomorrow morning, our time, Nina Kennedy will feature in the women's pole vault final as well. So day one of the track and coming to the closing end of the uh, swimming program. I settled in uh, on Sunday night, it was, to pretty much just watch exclusively the track cycling. And uh, it was well worth it because we won plenty of gold on that day with uh, Georgia Baker and then uh, Matthew Richardson in the middle of the night winning the sprint, which I stayed up for because there was a lot of sport yeah. that night. So I thought, why not? Um, and there was a bit of controversy yesterday as well with uh, Matt Glatzer and uh, was it a pair of broken handlebars like we saw last year for the uh, for the Australian cyclists? I, I got to say, I mean, you know, you've been around sport a long time, and you know that there are there are stories that sort of go through to the keeper almost. This is a big story in in cycling and what's unfolded because I sat there after we got off air. And I was watching the coverage as well. And what unfolded was, you remember at Tokyo, Alex Porter, the Australian, his handlebars snapped on him in the time trial uh, in in one of the races. It snapped and he went face first uh, into the velodrome boards. It was a horrific accident, should never have happened and caused um, a, a whole heap of angst. That was the Tokyo Olympic Games. They get to last night for the 1,000 metres time trial And Australian cycling has worked out for whatever reason that the same handlebars that they're using are still unsafe. Now, they've been apparently doing all this due process and yada, 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 and they put out the executive general manager of high performance to try and explain um, the reason why they couldn't use those handlebars. 
But in a nutshell, what happened was for the 1,000-metre time trial, the Aussies had to go out with inferior handlebars. Now, they're aerodynamically charged, so they didn't have that aspect to them. It cost them one to one and a half seconds out there in a 1,000-metre time trial race, which is over in a flash. They should not have been anywhere near the medals, the Aussie, the Aussie men. And Matty Glatzer ends up winning gold, his fifth gold at Commonwealth Games. And Tom Cornish won silver as well. They were spent. And part of the explanation that Australian Cycling gave was we haven't been able to essentially uh, work with the manufacturers to make sure that these handlebars that we've got are safe. And I was sitting there going, well, hang on a second. This happened in Tokyo. This happened at the Olympic Games and you haven't worked it out now. And they also said that the athletes have been informed and essentially they're okay with it. Like hell they were. Yeah, no. Can you imagine <laughs> saying to these athletes, hey, by the way, you're going to start essentially with a one and a half second disadvantage because we've fumbled and bumbled our way from Tokyo to this point and haven't worked out that the handlebars are safe. So just incredible. I think there'll be much more to this story um, as it goes along. And they were very, very lucky, in my opinion, Australian cycling, that Matty Gladstone won that gold and Thomas Cornish won that silver medal. But, boy, they had to work hard for it. Harder than I've ever seen uh, a cyclist go. They were just mm. spent because the aerodynamic advantage, Jordan, that they got, one and a half, they had to make it up elsewhere with their legs and, and their heart. And, and to do that over that distance is just, I mean, it's almost impossible. Somehow they pulled it off. And last one, in a nutshell, Matt, what's, uh, what's been the other sport that's taken your fancy? We've been good. We had the Golden, the Rugby Sevens. Uh, yep. The Diamonds have been good, as always. Uh, they'll get better in the latter stages of the netball. But what's that one sport you're latching onto? I tell you what, we had a lot of fun last night. James Magnuson knows a lot about swimming and a lot about sport. He knows a heck of a lot about his Bulldogs in the NRL. He knows nothing about lawn bowls. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And the men's triples were on last night while we were on air. I said to him, have you played much lawn bowls? He said, never sober. And I went, oh, dear, here we go. <laughs> so we were captivated last night. And here I was with uh, Maggie a double world champion in swimming, trying to call some lawn bowls as Australia was going for gold. It was just fantastic fun <laughs> to watch. So we were heavily invested in that and there'll be more on tonight. So I'm going to test his patience again this evening. Brilliant stuff, Matt. I look forward to uh, tuning in on the way home to your coverage. It starts at 7pm. So you're on air in a couple of minutes and uh, it'll be nationwide on SCN from 9pm tonight. Thank you so much, mate. And, uh, and have, a, uh, have a good coverage. Good on you, Jordan. Matt White with us, our uh, host of our evening's uh, sessions on the Commonwealth Games. You can listen on SEN Fanatic to begin on the app and then nationwide all across our uh, our national stations from 9pm this evening on SEN. We'll take our final break here on the Macca's Run. We'll come back after this uh, with some of your thoughts off the text machine. That's next on SEN. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.